Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel for today. We will continue our conversation on the U.S. energy sector. So excited to have with me here at the table in studio, uh, Jay Dobson, Energy and Utilities Analyst for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Uh, Jay, always great to be with you in person. Thank you for dropping by, for spending some time with our listeners and clients today. Welcome back. Yeah, Dan, thanks for having me and just great to be back in the studio with you. Absolutely. So there's a lot to cover. I know oil prices front and center at the moment. We'll spend some time on that. You recently released your latest U.S. energy equity preference list update. So we'll spend some time talking about the broader sector. Up front, I do want to point out to our listeners, especially our clients of UBS, that Jay's latest publication on the energy sector is available up on UBS.com slash CIO. You can, of course, reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of that directly. Though, Jay, before we get into the sector itself, maybe to set the stage a bit, I mentioned how oil prices very much in focus lately. Can you begin by speaking a bit to CIO's price outlook for both crude oil as well as nat gas looking forward? Yeah, sure, Dan. It, it really underpins uh, U.S. energy equities, so it's, it's an important question. You know, we have a constructive view of crude oil over the next several months with, you know, I'd say price risks skewed to the upside, but, you know, a decidedly more cautious view of of natural gas. You know, starting with crude oil, we expect prices to end the year just about where they are. You know, let's call that W ninety one dollars WTI. Um, but between now and then, I expect it to be in in a bit more of a, a trading range. Let's call that mid eighties to mid nineties WTI. I think the issue here is crude oil demand remains very resilient, and the supply demand balance remains tight, as evidenced by declining global crude oil inventories. So that's really the story with with crude. Um, I'd say on natural gas, with normal winter weather, we see prices higher by year end. You know, but are cautious in the near term given high storage levels and, you know, the normal seasonal decline in demand we see as we leave summer and, and enter autumn. You know, natural gas prices, you know, should be over $3, maybe 310 by year end, but then sort of reverting back to below $3 by the end of winter. You know, the challenge in natural gas, unlike oil, is, you know, sort of a uh, excess of supply um, and, you know, sort of uh, more more tepid demand growth as well. Weather is a large factor in, in winter weather patterns are already looking uncertain. So um, that's sort of where we stand on, on oil and natural gas. So safe to say consumers at the pump will be paying higher prices for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I think that gasoline will start to come off here. Uh, again, refining margins may be a little lower, oil prices a little higher, but I, I think so long as oil prices don't go up a ton from here, I, I think gasoline prices ought to be stable. Diesel will be another issue, and that probably still has uh, has some fuel behind those prices. No pun intended. <laughs> thank you for that, Jay, and thank you for helping us to manage expectations there. I want to turn focus to the U.S. energy sector. As mentioned, you recently released your latest U.S. Energy Equity Preference List update. Do you want to point out to our listeners, our clients, that CIO does maintain a most preferred view of the U.S. energy sector? So with that, Jay, can you speak a bit to your thinking there? Uh, maybe also tie in recent sector performance, what you're picking up on, as well as thoughts on current valuations. Yeah, Dan, it's a really good question. 
question. I mean, as you point out, you know, we have a most preferred view of the U.S. energy sector and our clients and even some FAs may be saying, what does that actually mean? We mean we want you to be overweight relative to S&P 500 weightings. You know, it's about a 5% round number uh, weighting in the S&P 500. And, and we think you should have a larger weighting than that in a diversified uh, equity portfolio. Uh, S&P uh, energy stocks are, are actually the best performing stocks in the third quarter to date. Um, they've, you know, trailed information technology and consumer service uh, c- communication services and consumer discretionary year to date. But those sectors have had just, you know, simply stellar performance. But I think what's really surprising when you think about it is energy is the best performing sector in the S&P 500 since year end 2020. Um, and when you think about that, you know, we had obviously the pandemic effects, um, stay at home, et cetera, but best performing sector over those sort of two and three quarter years and by a pretty wide margin. When you say sort of why is that and why are we most preferred? You know, I think there's six key points to keep in mind. You know, first, as we pointed out in the last question, you know, sort of a constructive oil price outlook, you know, looking forward from here. I think the second thing, we've got slowly growing U.S. oil and natural gas production both this year and next year, and quite frankly, into the foreseeable future. The key word being there, slowly growing. Um, I think the third top uh, or issue would be improving productivity and efficiency in, you know, sort of well uh, drilling and, and actual production and quite frankly, resilient demand all, all sort of in the same uh, point. But I, I think lower costs and resilient demand for the product Fourth, capital discipline. And all capital discipline, Dan, really means is these companies are not going out and just spending crazy. They're setting their capital budgets based once a year on where oil prices are, and they're maintaining that capital budget. Uh, And what that provides is positive free cash flow and cash flow then that can come back to shareholders in the form of, of dividends and share repurchases. The fifth, strong balance sheet. These companies have the strongest balance sheets they've had in well over 20 years. Many of them have no net debt, if you can wrap your head around that. And while still having some of the best returns, like in a return on asset or return on equities in the S&P 500, right now we we only lag the information technology sector for returns in the S&P 500. So the the last issue, and you raised it at the end, is, is really all of this comes together to support a pretty attractive value. Valuation, you know, valuation of the sector relative to the S and P 500 is actually the lowest we've seen. You know, I'm talking about returns and debt levels being as attractive as they've ever been, and yet valuations are as low as they've been. So, you know, I, I think this is all wrapped around. Hopefully, we'll get to talk about the energy transition. Some of that stuff gets you know sort of baked in here, but I think inappropriately. But those six items, I think, really, really sort of support our, our most preferred view on the energy sector. Yeah, the energy transition, a conversation by itself. Though I do want to spend a a few moments at least getting some updates from you on that today, though just thinking about where we go from here, this performance, interesting to hear about the factors that have supported, contributed to the sector performance. But as we're making our way now into the fourth quarter, hard to believe about three months to go in 2023. Near term, the question is, can this performance continue? So I'm curious in the way of risks, headwinds to the group, what are you monitoring at the moment? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question, Dan, because I think it's a really important one. And why am I saying that is, you know, I'll admit, you know, when I was sitting in June and, you know, oil prices were $70, you know, I felt really, really good about our most preferred view of of energy. I, I 
nothing's ever a layup in the market, but sure. I really felt confident around uh, oil prices and energy equities. You know, sitting here as, as we've appreciated and as you say, you know, appreciating the risk and the reward potential, you know, I, I would say it's it's definitely closer there where we've got a number of risks. I think the key risk we're going to have to pay attention to over the next uh, couple of months, more than a couple of months, maybe six, is going to be supply. You know, remember, this market is tight because Saudi Arabia and to a much smaller degree, Russia is holding back supply. And so at some point, that supply is going to come back on the market. We do see slower demand growth next year. And I'm just not I think it's going to be quite difficult to manage the restoration of that supply with relatively slow demand growth. So the, the key to watch here is going to be how those sort of supply of oil comes back on the market. I'd say, obviously, the second risk would be just demand and recession and all these things, you know, as we sit here today, we're waiting for, you know, the Fed to tell us what they're going to do on, on interest rates. You know, obviously, all of those things are, are exogenous risks around the macro economy that we need to keep in mind. The third one, I'd say, is, is just gasoline prices and, you know, oil prices and sort of their impact on public policy. Um, you know, oil prices and ga high gas prices tend to make po politicians, particularly as we approach the 2024 election, you know, politicians nervous. And I would say nervous politicians generally lead to bad public policy. Uh, so it's, it's something we're definitely keeping a, a focus on. I'd say a significant increase in capital spending from the companies, though I'd say that risk is relatively low. These companies are pretty sold on capital discipline, mostly because CEOs are compensated with their stock and their stocks are doing really well. Um, and I'd say offsetting that risk is, as I mentioned earlier, I, I do think third quarter earnings are probably you know going to be better mm -hmm. than consensus expectations. So near term, I feel pretty good. As we look out a couple of months, I have to admit, you know, risk is starting to rise a little bit. So I, I do want to be cognizant of that. So in terms of these risks, uh, quite a lot there to be mindful of. I'm curious, are these risks concerns? Are they shared by your industry colleagues, thought leaders amongst the U.S. energy sector? I bring that up because I know you recently attended an industry conference. So I'm curious what you took away in the way of trends, what you took away from from the leaders you heard speak. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, we're we're sort of uh, lucky, and then we get to attend a number of the industry conferences and, and other sell side conferences um, to get a real tone. And I'd say, on average, you know, the conferences we've been attending recently have had a really constructive tone, and that's both from companies and, quite frankly, from from investors. You know, inflation in oil field services is definitely subsiding. That's less on the rig side and, and more on the consumable side. Think sand and chemicals. Um, OC CDTG or, 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 or sort of pipe for drilling. Um, so a lot of these components, the, the prices are, are coming down. Well, productivity, as I mentioned earlier, is improving. Um, that also helps on, on the cost side. Um, and I think when I look to investors, you know, we saw a high amount of interest in the oil field services sector. You know, uh, some of these companies uh, that we're presenting, we're getting sellout crowds, sort of standing room only, which is, is pretty unusual for, for that space. Because um, there's a lot of activity in the Middle East and the deep water offshore that has a number of years in duration, um, you know, probably going out to 2026, 2027 of, you know, rising revenues, rising margins, et cetera. Um, so I'd say overall, the, the tone of, of investors and, and managements was, was very constructive. And, and I think that is another important point, because though it's a risk, I, I do think this sector remains under owned by institutional investors. I have to imagine the topic of energy 
transition does come up at these conferences. So CIO happens to have energy transition as one of its longer term investment themes. We've spoken about this here on the podcast before. I said it before, we can dedicate a whole separate conversation to this. Perhaps we can schedule that at some point soon, Jay, though. Can you remind our listeners, our clients today of the opportunity set here when it comes to the energy transition and maybe some near term drivers of the theme? Yeah, Dan, you're exactly right. And we should get back sort of on the uh, on the table, the, the energy transition discussion um, as a standalone uh, discussion. But I'd say in summary, look, it's going to be really complicated. I, I think the media and even public policymakers want to make this seem like, you know, a couple of solar and wind and snap our fingers and it's done. And, and the reality is, you know, the global economy is run on energy. That's its lifeblood. Um, and as we saw in Europe last year, um, really all we need to do is make energy unreliable or unaffordable. And God help us if we do both of those, um, we have a real problem. And you saw coal consumption go up dramatically uh, last year on a global basis. So I'd say the energy transition is really keeping in mind three stool, three legs of a stool. Decarbonization is obviously a critically important one, but also then reliability and affordability. And I think this is very, very, the developed world, I think there's a lot of opportunity for wind and solar, mostly because you're installing those on the back of, you know, natural gas fired capacity. That's how we've seen, at least here in the U.S., carbon uh, emissions reduced because we've been switching from coal to natural gas. You add some renewables in there, um, you add maybe even some nuclear, some hydrogen, carbon capture. I I do think there's a lot to do here. And, you know, as you point out, you know, I, I I think the, the, the black swan here, quite frankly, is I think that the energy companies are in a really good position to benefit from some of this transition. It'll take time, but you know the large integrated oil companies have a lot of opportunity understanding the energy and energy distribution function globally you know, to participate in some of these like carbon capture, biofuels, hydrogen, um, etc. So I'd say the energy transition has opportunities and risk. It is not going to be a straight line. Um, But uh, I I would say, you know, the idea that that fossil fuels is going to go away, you know, or decline materially in demand at any time over the next 10 or 20 years is, is probably is probably unrealistic. Well, the conversation will continue as it does remain one of CIO's longer term themes. A lot there we can dive into. So at some point, do look forward to having a follow up conversation on the energy transition. Uh, before we wrap up this morning, Jay, one more question as it pertains to positioning within the group. So again, as mentioned, as we covered at the top, CIO does maintain a most preferred sector view, though looking across subsectors within the group, what looks most attractive to you at the moment? Yeah, well, you know, the integrated oil companies have a very large weighting in the index. So, you know, I think you always have to have a little bit of those. We like those, um, you know, again, near term because of their exposure to the commodity and refining margins, but as well, long term. Uh, I'd also say the oily E&Ps um, are, are going to be benefiting from, you know, the supportive oil price environment, wherein we mentioned the oil field services, which, you know, and the inter international uh, sort of level, uh, Middle East and, and deep water offshore have a lot of opportunity for, for earnings growth and, and margin expansion. You know, refiners have been really, really solid performers this year, but um, I worry that uh, refining margins, you know, will start declining. They'll remain elevated relative to long-term averages, but but probably start declining uh, after after we report third quarter earnings. So I'd say our favorites remain integrated oils, oil EMPs, and, and oil field services right now. 
post-earnings would be great to have a follow-up to see how the group performs. And as mentioned, a few other topics we can follow up on for our listeners and clients. Though, do want to thank you, Jay, for dropping by today here in the studio to keep our listeners informed on uh, your current thinking as it pertains to the U.S. energy sector, what CIO is picking up on with respect to NAC gas, oil prices, and look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Yeah, Dan, thanks so much. And just as I said, great to be back in the studio with you. Look forward to many more of these. Likewise. Thank you, Jay. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.